Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for forty days. He did not eat anything during those days. When they came to an end, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil led him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you all this power and the glory of these kingdoms because it has been entrusted to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Because it is written, you will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it says you shall not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. This is the Gospel of our Lord. We pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our dear friends in Christ, who is our champion, when was the last time you were really tempted? I'm sure for most of us, it wasn't that long ago. On the other hand, if you can't remember the last time you were tempted, that's not a good sign. It means that your conscience has been seared by sin. It means that you've given up the struggle. It means that the devil has his claws around your soul. But back to that earlier question, When's the last time you were tempted? Do you remember the nature of that temptation? Were you, were you tempted to put something or someone before God in your life? Were you tempted to, to keep your faith quiet, your confession about Christ quiet because you didn't want to get in trouble with a friend or family member or coworker? Were you tempted to, to put, prioritize a, a Netflix show or some other show before your own personal devotional and prayer life? Were you tempted to disrespect parents or others in authority? Were you tempted to harbor a grudge or hatred in your heart? Were you tempted to lust after someone who is not your spouse, maybe even just a pixelated image on a screen? It's tax time. Are you tempted to file a shady tax return? Are you tempted to slander or gossip on social media? Are you tempted to covet something God has not given you? Someone else's family, or wealth, or house, or car? Temptations are all around us. Maybe you don't even have to think that far back in your life. Maybe maybe you were tempted already this morning. Maybe it was very tempting for you to stay in your nice warm bed instead of come out into the, the gusty wind this morning. Maybe it's tempting for you to just skip church and instead enjoy a nice brunch. 
Maybe you're being tempted right now to tune me out because it's not very comfortable to be forced to look into the mirror of the law like this. Temptations are all around us and they often come at times we don't expect them and from places we don't anticipate them to come from. Our text is also very tempting. Did you notice that? What makes it tempting? Well, it's very tempting to think that Jesus wasn't really tempted by the devil in that wilderness. I mean, he's God after all, right? Isn't that what the Lord had, had stated? The Father of heaven had said, this is my son. James says God can't be tempted by evil. Where's the struggle here between the almighty God and a fallen angel? Is that really tempting for Jesus? Well, we know that the Bible also says that Jesus is truly man. As we read in Hebrews, he's been tempted in every way that we are. So which is it then? Is Jesus the untemptable Son of God or is he a vulnerable human being made of flesh and blood like you and I? Well, the Bible's answer is he's both. And it makes absolutely no sense to us. We cannot fit those truths into our minds. But the Bible doesn't tell us to understand them or to comprehend them. The Bible tells us to receive them, believe them, and confess them. Jesus was really tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It was very real for him. As real as any of the temptations that we face in life. He knows, Jesus knows what it feels like when, when something is dangling in front of you and you know you shouldn't have it, but, but you just ache, you want it, whether it's physical or, or psychological. You want it. You ache after it. You can't stop thinking about it. That forbidden fruit that you know you shouldn't take, but you really want to. Jesus knows what that's like. Consider the first temptation. Jesus had already been in the wilderness for 40 days. He hadn't eaten a thing. Luke tells us, obviously, he was hungry. How tempting it would be then for Jesus to look at the pile of stones and turn them into some loaves of bread. Even more tempting than it is for us. You know, our temptation when it comes to, to food like that is uh, to sneak a, a fry or a cheese curd out of the bag as you're driving home. You know, that's the temptation. Jesus' temptation to eat was much greater than that, however. Or consider the, the second one. The devil takes him up on a mountain and he shows him all the nations of the world and he says, all this can be yours if you just worship me. And how tempting that must have been for Jesus. After all, his father had promised him. When you complete your mission, the father had said, all authority on heaven and on earth will be given to you. So how tempting it would have been for Jesus to bow down and worship Satan and take a shortcut to that power and authority and glory that were rightfully his. Because the, the, the path that the father had chosen for him involved Betrayal and denial and shame and spit and a crown of thorns and being rejected by men and having to drag a cross through the streets of Jerusalem and then be nailed to that cross and suffer God's wrath and hell itself. How tempting it must have been for Jesus to say, I'll take the shortcut to glory. I'll take Easter Sunday without the pain and the shame of Good Friday. How tempting that must have been. The third one must have been the most tempting though, I think. Not only does Satan use Scripture to try to tempt Jesus to, into disobeying his Father's will, but he, he 
he, he picks on a point where Jesus must have had real doubts. This is what the devil says. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here because it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment. Just before this, the heavens had opened and the Father and the Holy Spirit both testified that you are the beloved Son of God. And then immediately, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, leads out into the wilderness so that you can starve and be tempted by the devil. Wouldn't Jesus have to be wondering, what kind of a father does that to their child? Is he really the beloved son of the father if, if he allows his son to suffer in this way? Wouldn't it be very tempting for Jesus to, to test his father's love? To take a step off of that, that temple mount which Josephus estimated to be 450 feet high? to test his father's promise, to test his father's love? How tempting it would have been. These were real temptations that Jesus faced, as real as anything you or I have faced. What's interesting to note, though, is how Jesus defeated these temptations. He is God. He could have snapped his finger and sent the devil back to hell where he came from. He could have prayed to his Father in heaven to send legions of angels to fight the devil off for him. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He used the same weapon that is available to us. He didn't use his almighty power to defeat the devil. He cited three passages from Deuteronomy. And that's how Jesus defeated the devil. Now don't be tempted. Don't believe the lie that, that these weren't real temptations for Jesus. They were as real as anything you or I face. It's also very tempting, this text is, to, to misunderstand how it relates to us. It's tempting to believe that, that what Jesus is doing here is kind of setting an example for us, that he's showing us how we can defeat the devil on our own. And it, it seems to make sense, right? The three temptations that Jesus faced, they're very similar to the temptations that we face on a daily basis, right? First of all, to, to our our fleshly desires, whether it be sexual or for food or, or for a nicer home or something like that, that's the same temptation that Jesus went through. Or the temptation to take a shortcut to power or glory or wealth or celebrity, that's a strong temptation that you and I face. Or the temptation to, to test God's word, to test his promises, to test his love to push them to the extreme and see if God will really prove his love for us. It kind of all boils down, these three temptations, to, to the things that you and I face are tempted by on a daily basis. Sex and power and glory and money and a healthy life, a long life, eternal life. All of those things are so tempting for us as well. It's tempting to think that Jesus is setting an example for us. He's just giving us kind of a do-it-yourself handbook of how to defeat the devil on our own. But consider this. If you're tempted to believe that, that Jesus is just showing you how to defeat the devil, consider that Adam and Eve, in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, were unable to defeat the devil. How are we going to fare in comparison, we who are fallen creatures? Or consider Peter. 
who was there in the presence of Jesus, had seen his miracles and had listened to him preach with his own ears. And in one moment, in one breath, he can confess Jesus as the Son of God. And in the very next, Jesus tells him, Get behind me, Satan, because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. How well are we going to fare if it's up to us to defeat the devil? If Jesus is just giving us a handbook, a guidebook, an example of how to do it ourselves. This is what Martin Luther had to say about doing battle with the devil. He said, Do not argue at all with the devil and his temptations or accusations and arguments, nor by the example of Christ refute them. Just keep silent altogether, turn away and hold him in contempt. For no one conquers the devil by arguing with him, since he is incomparably more clever than all of us. So, so what does this have to do with our lives then? Our daily battle with the devil. What does Jesus' temptation, how does that relate to our temptations? Well, it's not as if we're on the field behind him. And he's behind at us and he says, hey, watch me guys, I'm going to show you how to do it. It's not like we're standing behind David and, and, and we need to go fight Goliath then after David gets finished beating him. No, instead, Jesus didn't show us how to defeat the devil ourselves. He defeated the devil for us. He is our champion, our representative, just like David was in defeating Goliath on behalf of the Israelites. You see, what Jesus really came to do is reverse what happened in the Garden of Eden. The biggest problem that humanity faces is not that Russia invaded Ukraine it's, it's not that racial tensions are running high in our country. It's not that men and women just never seem to get along. The biggest problem humanity faces is that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. That man was Adam. In the perfection of the Garden of Eden, perfect Adam with his perfect wife by his side with a, in a paradise that was filled with food couldn't resist the devil's temptation. And now here comes Jesus in a wilderness, all alone, no food, no one with him, and he defeats the devil for us as our representative. Paul spells out the results of this wondrous act. Just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many became sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will become righteous. In Lent, we typically focus most of our attention on what we call Jesus' passive obedience. That is, his suffering and death. That is, him allowing himself to be punished for our sins. But this is an example of what we call Jesus' active obedience. He's actively keeping God's will on our behalf. He's doing it because we never could. And if Jesus didn't live a perfect life in our place, actively obeying God perfectly, we'd always have the law hanging over our head. And you shall not, and you shall. And you shall not, and you shall do this perfectly if you want to be saved. But Jesus removed that curse of the law, that haunting voice of the law. Just as important, though, if Jesus didn't live a perfect life, then his passive obedience, his suffering and death, would all be meaningless. If, if Jesus didn't live a perfect life, 
then he would just be suffering and dying for his sins and not for ours. And so these words prove, prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that when Jesus was suffering, he was suffering for our sins, not for his own. He was suffering for our sins of giving into those fleshly lusts that Satan puts before us. He was paying for our sins of taking shortcuts through life to find glory and power and wealth. He was paying for our sins of failing to trust God, trust His promises, and not go beyond them. He was paying for all of it. And because because God abandoned His Son, forsook His Son on that cross, we have the guarantee that we will never be abandoned. God will never forsake us. That no matter how many sins we've committed, no matter how many times we've given into temptation, because Jesus paid for all of them, you remain God's beloved son and daughter. That's what this proves. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He's not telling us to do it. Because we couldn't. I don't need an example. I don't need someone to tell me to do something I just can't do. I need a Savior. And that's what we have in Jesus. Our conquering hero, our champion, who has done what we could never do. Summarize it this way. When you, when you face temptation this week, this afternoon, right now, don't ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? Jesus can do what you can't, defeat the devil. Instead, hold up what Jesus has already done for you and delivered to you in word and sacrament as your shield, trusting that not even the devil himself can overcome that. Amen.